Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 55th presentation, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 talks prepared by Pope John Paul II, delivered during the years 1979 through 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. In our considerations last Wednesday about purity according to the teaching of St. Paul, we called attention to the text from 1 Corinthians. In this text, the Apostle presents the Church as the body of Christ, and this offers him the occasion for the following argument about the human body. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he willed. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are more necessary, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater reverence, and our unpresentable members are treated with greater modesty, whereas our more presentable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the member that lacked it, that there may be no disunion within the body, but the members may have care for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 22 through 25. The Pauline description of the human body corresponds to the reality that constitutes the body. It is thus a realistic description. At the same time, the description weaves into its realism a very subtle thread of evaluation that gives it a deeply evangelical Christian value. It is certainly possible to describe the human body to express its truth with the objectivity proper to the natural sciences, but such a description, with all its precision, cannot be adequate, that is, commensurate with its object, given that what is at issue is not only the body, understood as an organism in the somatic sense, but also man, who expresses himself by means of that body and in this sense, I would say, is that body. In this way, since it is a question of man as a person, that thread of evaluation is indispensable for describing the human body. One should also remark how right this evaluation is. This is one of the perennial tasks and themes of all culture, of literature, sculpture, painting, as well as dancing, theater, and finally, of the culture of daily life, private or social. This is a subject that would be worth discussing separately. The Pauline description in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 25, does not, of course, have a scientific meaning. It does not present a biological study on the human organism or human somatology. From this point of view, it is a simple pre-scientific description, concise, consisting only of a few phrases. It has all the characteristics of common realism and is without doubt sufficiently realistic. However, what shapes its specific character, what particularly justifies its presence in sacred scripture, is precisely this evaluation woven into the description and expressed in its narrative realistic plot. One can certainly say that this description would not be possible without the whole truth of creation. 
nor without the truth of the redemption of the body, which Paul professes and proclaims. One can also say that the Pauline description of the body corresponds precisely to the spiritual attitude of reverence for the human body that is due to the holiness. See 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-5, through 7-8, through 8, that wells up from the mysteries of creation and redemption. The Pauline description is equally far from Manichaean contempt for the body and the various manifestations of a naturalistic cult of the body. The author of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18-25, through 25, has before his eyes the human body in all its truth. The body therefore permeated above all, if one may express it this way, by the whole reality of the person and its dignity. At the same time, it is the body of historical man, male and female, that is, of the man who after sin was conceived, so to speak, within and from the reality of the man who had shared in the experience of original innocence. In Paul's expressions about unpresentable members of the human body, as well as about those that seem to be weaker, or those we think less honorable, we find it seems to us the testimony of the same shame that the first human beings, male and female, had experienced after original sin. This shame impressed itself on them and on all generations of historical man as the fruit of the threefold concupiscence, with particular reference to the concupiscence of the flesh. And what impressed itself at the same time as we emphasized in our earlier analyses is a certain echo of the same original innocence of man, a photographic negative, as it were, the positive of which was precisely original innocence. The Pauline description of the human body completely confirms our earlier analyses. It seems... In the human body there are unpresentable members, not by reason of their somatic nature, for a scientific physiological description treats all members and organs of the human body in a neutral way, with the same objectivity, but only and exclusively because, in man himself, there exists the shame that perceives some members of the body as unpresentable, and leads to considering them as such. This same shame seems to be, at the same time, the basis of what the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians. Those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater reverence, and our unpresentable members are treated with greater modesty. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23. Thus one can say that from shame is born reverence for one's own body, a reverence that Paul asks us to keep. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. Precisely this keeping of the body with holiness and reverence is to be considered essential for the virtue of purity. Returning to the Pauline description of the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 25, we wish to call attention to the fact that according to the author of the letter, the particular effort to reach reverence for the human body, and especially for its weaker or unpresentable members, corresponds to the Creator's original plan, or to the vision about which Genesis speaks. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. 
Paul writes, God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the member that lacked it, so there may be no disunion within the body, but the members may have care for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Disunion within the body, the result of which is that some members are considered weaker, less honorable, and thus unpresentable, is a further expression of the vision of man's, that is, historical man's, interior state after original sin. The man of original innocence, male and female, about whom we read, both were naked, but they did not feel shame. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 did not feel that disunion within the body either. An analogous harmony in man's innermost being, the harmony of the heart, corresponded to the objective harmony that the Creator gave to the human body, which Paul explains as reciprocal care of the various members. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. This harmony, or precisely purity of heart, allowed man and woman in the state of original innocence to experience in a simple way, in a way that made both of them originally happy, the unitive power of their bodies. That was, so to speak, the unsuspectable substratum of their personal union or communio personarum. As one can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18-25, through the apostle ties his description of the human body to the state of historical man. At the threshold of the history of this man stands the experience of shame, connected with disunion in the body, with a sense of modesty for this body, and especially for those of its members that determine masculinity and femininity in somatic terms. Nevertheless, in the same description, Paul also indicates the way that leads precisely on the basis of the sense of shame to the transformation of this state, to the gradual victory over this disunion in the body, a victory that can and should be realized in the human heart. This is precisely the road of purity or of keeping the body with holiness and reverence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18-25, through 25, Paul takes up again the reverence he discussed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-5. through 5. By using some equivalent expressions, when he speaks about reverence or esteem toward the less honorable, weaker members of the body, and when he commends greater modesty in regard to what is considered unpresentable in man. These ways of speaking characterize that reverence more closely, above all in the sphere of human relationships and behavior with regard to the body, which is important both with regard to one's own body and evidently also in reciprocal relations, especially between man and woman, but not limited to them. We have no doubt that the description of the human body in 1 Corinthians has a fundamental significance for the Pauline teaching about purity as a whole. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 55th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. And to contextualize this catechesis, 
It's important for us to remember that we are in part one of the magnum opus, Theology of the Body, the Words of Christ. So these are not just random musings by Pope John Paul II, but he's focusing our attention on what has the Lord Jesus said. The first chapter was referring to the words of Christ when he appealed to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the male and female. It was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted the bill or decree of divorce. But the two shall be one flesh. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. These are the words of Christ. He appeals to the beginning. And this says something to us about ourselves and about the God whose image we are made. The second chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body, in which we are now, Christ appeals to the human heart. He did not come to preach to the puppy dogs or the kitty cats or the fish of the sea or the birds of the air, but to human beings. He became like us in all things but sin. In his chest beat, and still beats in his resurrection, the heart of a human being, the heart of a man. But this heart, which was pierced for love of us on Calvary's height, is also the heart of God. Christ appeals to our hearts to be pure of heart, not to look with lust upon the other. Whoever looks in a disordered way has already committed adultery in the heart, impurity in the heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Christ appeals to our hearts in the sixth section of this second chapter, which we heard today, purity as life according to the Spirit. There are the works of the flesh, which are contrasted with life according to the Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of God, the Spirit whose temple we are by grace and faith and baptism. And because the Apostle St. Paul preaches Christ, crucified and glorified, it is not a stretch, really, even while focusing our attention on Christ's appeal to the human heart. For Pope John Paul II, in this 55th Catechesis, to continue his analysis of the Pauline description of the body found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Many members, no dissension, all working together. That's a brief summary of where we are and where we're going. Pope John Paul II focuses our attention on several things in this catechesis. He reminds us that man expresses himself by means of his body. We are embodied incarnate spirits. I'm not just my body, and I'm not just my soul, and neither are you. We express ourselves by means of our bodies. The words we speak, possible because of our vocal cords, possible because of our lungs, possible because of our ears with which the other hears and with which we hear. Man expresses himself by means of his body. Perhaps another reads my lips when they see me speak. Perhaps it is the body language, hands on the hips or arms folded across the chest, or a hand cupping the ear to aid the hearing. Perhaps a hug is given or a hand shaken in greeting. Man expresses himself by means of his body. And the Holy Father says as much, because he knows what St. Paul wrote about in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 18 through 25, where he sees the church as the body of Christ, as members of the body. The members of the body, it's a double entendre, I believe. It refers to the pinky 
and the nose and the toes and the elbow, the legs, the arms, the head, all the different body parts. But the members of the body also refer to the most recently baptized person, the oldest living baptized person, the husbands and wives, the children in the church, the monks and the nuns, the bishops and the priests and the deacons. These are all members of the body of Christ, which is the church. And earlier, our Holy Father had reminded us that this passage from St. Paul's letter refers primarily to ecclesiology, to the science, the understanding of the church, but it also directly refers to the human body, that is, of which he is speaking. The Holy Father draws our attention to this description of St. Paul, members of the body, because it is giving us the truth about the human person. It is not a scientific, physiological description of the body, which would treat all the members and organs of the human body in a neutral way, with the same objectivity. There would be no lesser or greater, more presentable or less presentable members or organs or parts, physiologically speaking. So that draws our attention that this pre-scientific description has more to it than meets the eye. It describes man as a person, a body-soul composite, made to the image of God, not only in our bodies, thanks to the Incarnation, but in our souls, that invisible part of us which manifests itself even if it goes unseen. Pope John Paul II draws our attention to this common realism, to the truth of creation and the truth of the redemption of the body. Christ had a heart like ours, had legs like ours, lungs like ours, a man like us in all things but sin. And his body was nailed to the cross and laid in the tomb and rose on the third day. This is the redemption of the body, which presupposes the creation, the good creation, how God saw all that he had made and it was good, including the body. The Pauline description, the description given by St. Paul, is equally far from Manichaean contempt for the body and the various manifestations of a naturalistic cult of the body, says Pope John Paul II. Earlier he had addressed Manichaeanism, an ancient heresy, a Gnostic heresy, a dualistic heresy which sees matter, the body, as evil, and the spirit as good. Well, I can sin in my soul as well as with my body. The idea is to not sin at all, whether in the body or in the soul or altogether, to be pure of heart, to be pure in my deeds. St. Paul's description of the human body and the members of the human body is far from Manichaeanism, from the contempt of the body, but it also avoids the naturalistic cult of the body. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, of happy memory, he used to tease that if there were as many retreat centers as there were health clubs, this would be quite a different country than it is. We're supposed to take care of our body, no question. We're supposed to eat well and sleep well, exercise well, work hard, see the doctor, take care of our health. That is not the cult of the body. That's just good stewardship, caring for the gift God has given us. 
But there have been those who go to such extents, cosmetic surgeries, dissatisfied with the appearance of one's nose or other body parts, chin, tummy tuck. Even when we die, you go to the viewing. You see your beloved's mortal remains in the coffin. Oh, he looks better than he did in life. Doesn't he look good? We make up the dead as if they never died. Is this part of the cult of the body? We don't show contempt for the body, but we don't prolong biological life as if there is no hope in the resurrection. We do not deny death as if it is not a part of reality after the fall. The Holy Father addresses in this 55th Catechesis original innocence and original sin, both of which make up, in part, the truth of the redemption, redeemed from what? From original sin, before which there was original innocence. When our first parents were in full communion, perfect communion with God, walking in the cool of the evening, but with original sin comes shame and lost innocence. With original sin comes the threefold concupiscence, and the Holy Father addresses in this catechesis particularly the concupiscence of the flesh, a tendency to sin with our bodies, specifically in a sexual way. To be a glutton or a drunkard, those are also sins of the flesh, part of the concupiscence of the flesh. But our Holy Father's attention is more on chastity, purity, throughout these 133 conferences. The Holy Father reminds us that historical man's interior state after original sin is affected by concupiscence, is affected by the tendency to sin with our bodies and with our souls. And this is why the Lord Jesus has called us to be pure of heart. This is why the Lord Jesus has appealed to our human hearts. This is why St. Paul, as a faithful apostle of the Lord, chosen on the road to Damascus, tells us to safeguard our bodies in holiness and reverence, and not only our bodies, but those of others. For if we are pure of heart, then we shall see things according to God. We will look upon the other as God looks upon them, and we will see God not only in the hereafter, in the blessed realm of heaven, but even in the here and now. Pope John Paul II, in this 55th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body, again draws our attention to the unitive power of the human body. Unitive, coming together. The two shall be one flesh. It's a reference to the nuptial embrace, the marital union, the marital act to make love. It is a part of reality, as is also the generative power, which are two sides of the same coin. The generative power, which the Holy Father does not mention in this catechesis, but which he knows is a part of the truth of the redemption, the truth of the creation, the truth of the gospel, implies the ability to cooperate with God the Creator, the father and the mother, the husband and the wife, they give the body, but God gives the soul, for we are body-soul composites. And while we have our spiritual element, each one of us, an individual rational soul, we are not capable of producing a soul. We do not have the wherewithal to make the soul. The soul comes from without, 
That's what Aristotle, the virtuous pagan, teaches. And Pope John Paul II was likewise aware of that. But furthermore, he was aware that God breathed the breath of life into the first man and into each subsequent human being, male and female. And the principle of life in each of us is the soul. The Holy Father speaks to us not only of the unitive power of the human body, but also of personal union, or the communio personarum. He addressed this earlier when he spoke about the original unity of the two, of the first couple, mirroring that eternal unity of the divine persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose image we are made. And this, in part, is realized in holy marriage, the communio personarum par excellence on this side of eternity. The Holy Father does not use crude or crass language when he says that there are members of the body which determine masculinity and femininity in somatic terms. He does not fixate on the gametes. He does not fixate on the sex organs, the genitalia, matter-of-factly, physiologically, but with circumlocution he speaks of members that determine masculinity and femininity in somatic terms. The Holy Father is very modest here. He does not buy into the crassness of the day. He does not speak so as to excite the passions or the senses, but addresses the reality matter-of-factly. When addressing these members which determine masculinity and femininity in somatic terms, he is speaking of those which are to be all the more safeguarded for modesty's sake in order to preserve holiness and reverence for the human being, for the human person made to the image of God, made for communion, made for eternity. Pope John Paul II likewise addresses in this 55th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, one of the perennial tasks and themes of all culture, the evaluation of man as a person in literature, in sculpture, in painting, in dancing, in theater, and in daily life, both private and social, not just as an organism, not just as a body, but as a person, body-soul composite. And this is what is key about the theology of the body. The body reveals ourselves. Man expresses himself by means of his body. And so a dancer dances across the stage, dances across the floor, expressing themselves. You see it in the ballet. You see it in Fred Astaire with Ginger Rogers. Man expresses himself by means of his body. You see the sculpture. Imagine Rodin, the thinker, to have deep thought expressed in bronze. Man expresses himself by means of his body. This is the perennial task, the timeless task of all culture, to evaluate man as a person in painting. How many paintings depicting the human situation, not just a landscape or a still life. Imagine Albrecht Dürer's praying hands. Imagine Michelangelo's last judgment on the wall of the Sistine Chapel above the altar. These depictions evaluate man as a person, man as one who prays, man as one who will be judged, 
one who has a destiny, and to the extent we are true to our humanity, true to our human nature, our destiny will be beautiful and blessed, joy-filled and glorious. And to the extent that we live according to the flesh, with its tendency to sin, to the extent that we refuse to bear the fruit of the Spirit within us, we have a different destiny which is not blessed, which is not joy-filled, which is eternal hell. Pope John Paul II was very much a man of culture, and the root of the word culture is cult, the worship of God. And so there is literature which evaluates the man as a person. Imagine the Divine Comedy of Dante Alighieri. Imagine Pope John Paul II's own work in the Rhapsodic Theater during the Nazi terror, or his play The Jeweler's Shop. All of this makes up the 55th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. Until next time, God bless you.